as the uh, kids make their way back to their seats, um, today um, we continue in worship uh, through giving. Um, and obviously in churches and, and I guess in buildings and spaces, people have their reasons and motives for giving. But here at Highland, we do not see giving as an interruption to our worship. It's not like a pause or a moment that attention, but Jesus is the reason we give. His generosity to us is modeled, and, and we get to be a part of being generous and reflecting the Father's generous heart as we give. Uh, if you're a visitor here today, please feel free to keep the baskets moving. But if you've come prepared to give and you'd like to give, uh, to be a part of giving at this church, uh, that's, that's part of saying, man, this is my home. This is where I belong. These are my family. These are my people. Uh, and it's part of worship as a Christ follower. Jesus said, you know, follow me with everything you have, and our finances are part of that. And so if you came ready to give, please feel free to. But we do not give out of guilt, out of uh, emotional response, but truly the invitation is to be generous as God has been generous to us. And so feel free uh, as the baskets come around. But you're going to be seeing a video that really is a what-if scenario. Uh, and by what-if, I mean what-if there were cameras in the world as Jesus walked? What if they were running to the people who said they had these Jesus encounter stories and what would be told as they sat in front of these cameras and shared their stories uh, that, that are recorded for us? And, uh, and so as we continue this journey this morning, we are really looking at the lives of those who walked with Jesus, who thought life would be one way, but Jesus took it another direction. So I was sick for, well, longer than most of you have been alive. We tried everything, all kinds of doctors. I'd heard about this pool outside of Jerusalem. I wanted to get well. I wanted to get in that pool. When I first got sick, I had thought it was an inconvenience, but surely temporary. After a few months, I decided to go to the doctor, but there was nothing he could do. I tried another doctor and then another. After I had spent everything I had, I knew I was cut off, alone. You don't think what it might be like to never be able to touch again. Hugging my children at night, brushing my daughter's hair away from her face, holding my husband's hand. I was there, but not. It was almost as if I were a ghost. So the first time I'm by the pool, me and my cousin wait for the pool to get stirred, and we wait and wait and still wait. Nothing really happens, not even one bubble. There was a couple times I, I got pretty close. It was always hard to be first to the pool. There's always so much a lame man can do. And how I missed the temple worship, drawing closer to the Lord's presence. Twelve years, that was my life until Jesus. I had heard stories about who this man was and what he could do. I knew if I could just meet him, he could heal me. The day he came, I wasn't having it that morning. I'm late to the pool. The spot I'm usually in to try and get into the pool, it's taken. And then out of nowhere, somebody asked, do I want to get well? <laughs> My whole life has been trying to get well. Do I want to 
when I found him, he was surrounded by crowds of people. Everyone wanted to get close to Jesus. What was I supposed to do? Me, the unclean, the untouchable. I was so excited to go see Jesus, but my mom was like, you have to do your homework and chores. And I was like, this is Jesus we're talking about here. People said that he was healing people and casting out demons. I mean, demons. That morning, my mom packed me a special bundle of food. I was embarrassed because all my friends had money to buy food. I could not let him pass by and lose my chance. I could not live like this any longer. I was desperate. And getting to Jesus was the only thing that mattered. And when he was within reach, I stopped. If I touched him, would he become impure? Would he be angry? I looked at him. I can't, Sarah. Every time I try and get into the pool, I'm beaten there. And then he said something that I wasn't quite expecting. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. If he didn't know I touched him, no harm done. So I quickly ducked down so he couldn't see me, and I reached out. I touched the hem of his robe, and immediately I felt in my body that I was healed. I didn't even have time to process what he was saying. And at that point, I knew I was healed. Who touched me, he asked. Someone touched me. Terrified, my heart raced. He knew. How could he know? Everyone was trying to touch him. I could no longer hide. I fell down at his feet and confessed that it was me. I cowered, awaiting his rebuke. But none came. I could move my, my feet, my knees, and I could walk. <laughs> Just like this. I ran to the temple and I praised and I worshiped. Thank you. It's Jesus. It must have been Jesus that had done this, that had healed me. One of Jesus' disciples was walking around asking if anyone had food. And then my friend said, he's got food. I got up, followed the disciple, and I thought, what an honor to meet Jesus. I would love his autograph. But I got to focus right now. I was so excited to gift Jesus my dinner. I was shaking with excitement. And what happened next, I'll never be able to explain. I was healed. Instead, he extended his tender mercies to me. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace, you will suffer no more. He kept on breaking up the food, giving out the food, and for some reason, it did not run out. Not only did we all eat, but we got full and we had leftovers. I just saw the most amazing thing and I was part of it. I mean, he used my food to give to others. This Jesus guy, he's one heck of a dude. For whatever reason, that day, he picked me out of everyone there. 
I thought one thing, but Jesus did something else. I thought, but Jesus. You know, the, the incredible story of the resurrection as we wrestle with it, and as we wrestled with it on Good Friday, as we walked out on Good Friday, my kids were like, that was kind of sad. And it is. I think we like to jump into the resurrection because we know the end of the story, but there's a, there's a small sliver of time that the disciples had to come face to face with what they thought, what they hoped, what looked like the end to those things, and then Jesus interrupting it and changing everything. Jesus' life displayed how different things were. His mercy, his compassion, his strength, his humility, his ability to speak very hard words. And if believed, bring life. But then you have the disciples who have to wrestle now with having walked with this guy who did things that made them think, this guy's probably different They walked with him, they got to know him, they journeyed with him, and then they watched him crucified, they watched him taken down, and then they watched him put behind a large stone. Unmet expectations are the worst. Right? You've had them, you've thought about things that you hoped would be one way, and then the letdown comes, right? And I know that this, this is a holy moment as we are together, but I have to think that when unmet expectations, the visual that comes to mind, and you just have to excuse me, is Clark Griswold. You know what I'm thinking of. You've seen the journey that he takes his family on when they go cross-country to go to Wally World, right? Like, And all the difficult stuff that happens, and they get to Wally World, they think they're the first ones there, they park in the back because dad's got an exit plan. When everybody's leaving, we're in the back of the parking lot. There's this chariots of fire moment where he's running with his kids, and then it leads to this. That's not the face of unmet expectations, the let down on their face when they walk up to that sign. That feeling that, that just, this is not what I hoped for. And then you know the Christmas vacation story, right? Where he's like trying to get the money to buy the pool. And he thinks, oh, a bit, the bonus that's going to come my way is going to make sure everything gets taken care of. And then he gets that beautiful bonus envelope. And in the envelope is a year-long membership to the Jelly of the Month Club. And he is furious. And then you have people like Cousin Eddie speaking up going, that's the gift that keeps on giving. You'll get a new jelly every month for a year. I mean, and that's, they're trying to make you feel better, but you have those unmet expectations expectations and you're furious at the world and you're ready to explode, which is really what happens. And what about the disciples? Like, I don't think we consider that they didn't know the end of the story. Did they walk home? Did they run away? Did they encounter people that they knew, knew that they left everything to follow Jesus? And people were like, 
told you so. I told you you shouldn't have given up everything to follow that guy. He's dead now. Now what? Unmet expectation and the, the humiliation and the heartbreak that come from it, and then you bring other people into that and have to sit with that weight. The loss of a friend. And if we're really honest, some of those disciples were probably convinced that he was the hope of all of mankind who now laid behind a stone. You know, they tell you when you're dealing with third world countries and in places where famine um, and lack of clean water and disease are present, it's not necessarily those things that causes the downhill pace. It's the loss of hope. So when hope is gone, despair sets in. However, Resurrection Sunday, I like to call it Resurrection Sunday because anyone can say Happy Easter's, but when you say Resurrection Sunday, it makes it awkward. Right? Happy Resurrection. I was going to say Happy Easter. I was going to say Happy Resurrection. Because the world can't handle the resurrection. So we use Easter, and we use eggs, and we use bunnies, and we use all those things. But when you talk about a dead man rising, changing the face and the course of history, then you make it awkward. And I think for the disciples, there were those moments of, this is really not what we thought things would be. This is different, but thankfully Jesus has the final say. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he would, has said would happen. Come see where his body was laying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The woman ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. You know, there's a, a real power to a stone not being where it's supposed to be. Mary and the other Mary going on their way to mourn the loss of Jesus. Chances are they were going to sit and mourn, probably quietly, not talking, but to to sit and, and just understand the gravity of what has just happened. They've lost a friend. That is what they expected. And what they found was a stone not where it was supposed to be. 
This is where we begin to ask the questions, is what Jesus says over all things true or my unmet expectations? Jesus not only shatters our expectations, for the Christ follower, he actually starts to give us new things to expect. You know, the first thing that we have to wrestle with is death isn't as big a deal to Jesus. Death not being the end. You and I have to sit and wrestle with this because we live in a country where we're all doing whatever we can not to see death, right? Anything and everything, the diets, the the books, the blogs, the articles, the doctor's trips, anything and everything to avoid death. And a stone not being where it was supposed to be points to all of our fears and all of our struggles and says, maybe, maybe it's different than we think. God's plan for life and for death are announced because a stone is not where it is supposed to be. The stone is moved, and we see that a Roman soldier or soldiers fallen as dead, fainted. And I love that the angel's words to to Mary is, do not be afraid. You know why do not be afraid? Because what do we fear most? Death and the opinion and power of men, right? And so Rome, this powerful, this force that is to be reckoned with, these guys fell over (sighs) at the power of God. This stone, this death mark on on Jesus' life is rolled to the side. And so we're hearing the words, do not be afraid. And it makes sense because what do we fear most? Death and the power and opinion of man. Power and opinion of man will make us do a lot of stupid things. In the open tomb, a stone not where it is supposed to be shouts loudly to, you may not want to take their words so seriously. You may not want the opinion of man to drive you or the power of man to drive you because there is one who is greater You may not want to live your life avoiding death. You may not want to live your life hiding because there is one who's greater than death. And a stone not where it is supposed to be points us to the the truth that Jesus has revealed. And I love, I love that I love that the angel says, just as he said. You and I have to pause Because if it truly is just as Jesus said, and then that death and the power of Rome and these men who we think are mighty and great and grand all faint at the presence of God, and it's one of those things where we're going, oh, maybe his words really do carry more weight than my words. Maybe his words carry more weight than the words of the world. Maybe his words carry more weight than anything else. Because just as he said, he's not in the tomb. There have been people resuscitated in history, not resurrected, never to die again. Just as he said. Don't miss Jesus' words. 
Don't miss that it is as he said things came to pass, not as man thought, not as Mary and Mary thought as they were going. Their final thought was, we're going to mourn, but now something has changed because just as Jesus said, he is not there. To see an empty tomb and to hear these words, come and see where his body was laying. Was? Yeah, was. Not is, was. A fascinating invitation to go and check for yourself. And the result is a very strange one, which I've tried to picture in my mind many, many times. It is of the women running full of fear and joy. I don't know how it works, but there's this moment of I'm running afraid of what I have just experienced, but I'm so excited because Jesus could be alive like he could, but I'm afraid of what I just saw. Like that tomb is empty and I'm fearful, but I'm so excited. Like I, it's, it's something going on. Something is different. Something has happened. And so to run with fear, to run with fear, but joy and fear, I'm afraid. And Oh, but Jesus. Oh, but wait, what did I see? I mean, all of the confusion and the chaos because a stone's not where it's supposed to be. I love that combination. The fear and that awe, not, not being afraid of death or man anymore, but just this, could Jesus really be that different? And if he is, it's the greatest news ever because it means everything he said and done and the forgiveness of sin offered, everything is true. Fear and joy. Powerful imagery coming out of a tomb. Jesus just as he had said. Jesus' words show when he meets the women, do not be afraid. Tell the guys to head out and that they will see me. All these things opposite of what the disciples may have been expecting. My guess is they expected the women to return. Yeah, Jesus is still there. We should probably cower in fear. We should probably put our heads in the sand. We should probably have a backup plan. And we should probably all get out of here, head for the hills. Because what they did to Jesus, they're probably going to do to us. Let's get out of here. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. Tell them to get on the move. I will meet them and they will see me. Not only did Jesus' authority shock the disciples' expectations, it actually changed what they began to expect. There was a transformation that began to happen. No longer were they fearful, but there was this wind of courage because of what they had heard. No longer was there this feeling of death having separated us. There was a response of there's a relationship that is still intact and it's not broken and it is present. And where there was death, Life sprung up. This is the beauty of unmet expectations and why you and I can rejoice when God chooses not to meet us the way we think it should happen. You see, the resurrection is a very powerful moment in history. 
The, the, the life and the death of Jesus are recorded not just in the scriptures, but in outside biblical sources. You can do the research. It's all there. This isn't a history lesson, but it is a moment in history that marks the world. But see, the gospel, the resurrection is not just historical. It must become personal. See, when we, we journey with this, this resurrection, yes, you have conversations about men. I don't know, man. Dead men rising? But then you begin to look at the evidences that God has allowed us to journey with. Saul in the scriptures. You can go to the scriptures and go, okay, so Saul, one of the heaviest persecutors of the Christian church who wanted to see Christ followers dying because he thought what they were doing was blasphemous, somehow encounters this Jesus and he writes this letter to a church in Corinth. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I passed on to you what was most important. And I love that he uses that phrase, most important. It's not kind of important. It's not a side note. This is what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. And here's what's most important. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said, I love that he just keeps letting them know. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, in a day and an age where it only took two or three testimonies to either confirm or deny someone's guilt or innocence, you were to take 500 plus individuals, line them up, give them 15 minutes to just share what they had seen and experienced. That's over five days of testimony. But you know what we do as a culture? We're like, ah, it's old. It doesn't matter to me. It's old, man. It comes from old book, man. Nothing. Nothing. We're so arrogant. We're so proud, aren't we? We really are. But when you have words that point to Jesus, in fact, rose from the dead, and you don't even have, you can go to the the extra outside the Bible sources and just begin to piece together the evidence. It's a beautiful thing. And yes, there were rumors that that Jesus' body had been stolen by the disciples. Gentlemen and ladies, we are very aware that when water gets hot, somebody talks. So when one disciple dies for this stolen body, another disciple dies for this stolen body, a third disciple dies for this stolen body, fourth disciple, I'm not dying, he's over there. We put his body in that room over there, he's up there, I'm done with it, I'm out. This is too rich for my blood. Oh, but the Pharisees and the Romans, they they stole the body, right? So when this kingdom of heaven talk starts to take root In the people's hearts, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Romans go, Surprise! Here he is! We've got his dead body right here, suckers! But it didn't happen that way, did it? It's because he's not there. You can't produce a body when the person is alive. That's the beauty of the evidences that God has stamped across time, not to mention the disciples, cowards turned into these fierce Lions willing to take the message of a man they saw and touched risen from the dead. Now, I mean, I have had this conversation several times in this city, and it makes sense to me. 
the disciples, they were tripping, like hallucinating. Now, not to say that everyone in this room knows how hallucinating works. There is no such thing as a group hallucination. <laughs> Mass hysteria, yes. Group hallucination, no. Don't all see the same thing. 500 plus people don't all see the same thing. And even greater than that, and this is one of those moments in history that you have to wrestle with, is that it was two women who brought the news of Jesus being alive. In a day and an age where it took two women's testimony to equal one man's testimony, a devaluing of women, if you were smart as a disciple, if you were trying to facilitate a lie and get this mass hysteria liar out there, you would not use the, the testimony of two women. You would shoot yourself in the foot with your lie that you were spreading because there was no chance anyone was going to believe what they had to say unless. It actually was God's plan that those women would be the ones to bring the good news to the disciples. You see, the evidence is point to a resurrection. And you and I have to wrestle with that. Because the resurrection is not just a historical event, but according to Scripture, it becomes a personal event for all of us. And Paul giving very strong evidence for the resurrection in our own scriptures, says these words in 1 Corinthians. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else. I love that our own scriptures make this very clear. We don't have to go to an outside source telling us that if Christ isn't raised, your faith is useless. No, we get that. We've made that, own, that, that same declaration. We understand what's at stake. If Christ not be raised, then everything we're doing, pack up shop and head out that door, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. But if he has been raised, then those stories of those people who shared that when they touched Jesus, they knew something was different. When they watched Jesus, they knew something was different. When those people heard the words, your sins are forgiven, the resurrection stamps all those things with yes. Everything you and I declare hinges on the resurrection. So when I hear people and Christians say, you know what, if it ever is discovered that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it wouldn't affect my faith. It better. It better. But if he has come out of the tomb, then we have everything to celebrate. As we close this morning in worship, two things. For those of you in this room who are the, the disappointed, the skeptic, the Seeker, the questioner, but I mean, good grief, you could have gotten drug here for Easter because it's lunchtime next. I don't know. 
But say you haven't seriously investigated the resurrection. I want to invite you to see where his body was laying. The angel said where his body was laying, not is. I want to encourage and invite and persuade you to investigate the empty tomb. For if it happened, everything changes. Now, there are also those of you in this room who have been following Christ. Maybe you investigated the empty tomb, but somehow you have forgotten the way things worked. Maybe you were the one who said, you know what, I'm going to go in and check out the tomb. And somehow God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit were hiding over in the bushes and they were like, get him! Hello? Is anybody out there? Uh came inside to check out the empty tomb and someone closed me up in it. Um, can I move the stone? I'm uh, still in here investigating. You know, I meet a lot of Christ followers that have forgotten that the evidence that his love is stronger is not that he gives me stuff the evidence that his love is stronger the evidence of his strong love is that he invites you to enter the tomb to see that his body is not there and then he sends you out in fear and trembling and in joy The end result is not that you're just dead, but that you are alive because if Christ is alive and he is the first fruit of this resurrected life, then that's what's living in me and that's what's guaranteed. Death, man, nobody can hold me now because Jesus is alive. Some of you have forgotten, and all you see your Christ-following life is as this. I'm dead now. I gave up everything. Uh, I was rich and I was popular and I had money and I had fame and I had everything. I gave it all up to follow Jesus and I'm dead now. <sighs> you have so forgotten the order of things. The stone's not where it's supposed to be, and it changes everything. And so as we worship together in these moments and we sing these bold declarations that he is alive, where have you put that trust? Have you gone, all right, I went in, I checked it out, cool, big deal, whatever. Have you forgotten that because he is alive, we are alive? Charles Spurgeon said it best, your joy will be God's missionary. I've known, I've known Christian pastors and people and leadership that have said, I just celebrate Jesus on the inside where my heart is. I'm like, dude, face and heart need to have a conversation, man. You act like he's dead. And it's not shiny, fake happiness, but it's just an understanding that the stone is not where it's supposed to be and that freaks me out. It gives me reason to celebrate. And so we're going to celebrate this together.
In a few moments, there's going to be some families around the room holding a plate with some bread and a cup with some juice. If we do this, and according to Scripture, every time we take this bread and we dip it in the juice and we take this meal, we are declaring the Lord's death until he returns. So because it says it in that phrasing, we are also celebrating that he is alive because dead men don't return. So to celebrate this meal, to take this bread, dip it in the juice, to take it in is to say, I believe that the stone's not where it's supposed to be, and that means everything to me. It means that he has finished it. It means that he is enough. It means that he has accomplished for me something I could not do. And my faith and my trust is in that Jesus has been raised from the dead, so will I. The stone's not where it's supposed to be. And as the body of Christ, we celebrate that together. When we take this bread, this body that was given for us, that was nailed to a cross, that was taken down off the cross, placed in a tomb. And then on a day, on the church calendar, we as the body of Christ celebrate that he didn't stay there. But he stamped all of God's promises with yes when that stone rolled out of the way. If you find yourself in this place believing that Jesus has died and has risen from the dead and that by faith you have taken hold of all that comes with that, you are invited to this table. There's no spiritual ID check. There's none of that going on. But if you're visiting and you're just curious and checking things out, I don't want you to feel like you have to take this meal. Please feel free to remain seated and to just contemplate and to consider an empty tomb. Because if this is true, everything changes. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I just ask that in these moments as we journey together through song and through this shared meal, that, Father, your people would remember that the stone's not where it's supposed to be where I thought it should be, where we all thought it should be, where we all maybe even wanted it to be so we could do whatever we want to do, we no longer can because we've seen Jesus and he's met us. He went ahead of us and he met us. Lord, will you help us know the power of the resurrection life? May we walk out those doors full of fear and awe and joy. It's in your name we pray.